Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Hey, well, good morning, good evening, afternoon, whenever you're watching this. Uh, my name is Aiden, one of the pastors here at the Norton campus of uh, Grace Church here in Akron area. So glad you're you're jumping in with us. Uh, if you're in the area, we'd love to meet you, uh, get a cup of coffee with you. I hate coffee, but I'll just get something else. But we'd love to hear from you. You can email us. If you have any questions, anything, we'd be praying for you about we'd love just to connect with you. Uh, if you're in the area or not, we'd just love to hear from you. Either way, if you've been with us for the last, this is 13 weeks uh, this week, that we've been going through the book of Ephesians. So much in these six chapters of this letter. And if you got your Bibles with you, you can open to chapter 6, verse 10 is where we'll be uh, camped out today. Sometimes if you ever watch a, a show on, on, I don't know, Netflix or television, there's always, if you're going to watch a new episode, uh, the, it kind of says last week on whatever and kind of gives you a recap, right? And so as we kind of end this week, this is the last week where Paul kind of builds up to over, over these six chapters. Almost this last week on Ephesians, what we've looked at this fall, some powerful stuff, what we see early in the, in the book is that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like if you need it, you got it. Every spiritual blessing I'm blessed with in Christ. Uh, Ethan kind of led us through almost this, this, what we see in chapter one, this mental apocalypse. Paul prays that, that the eyes of your heart may be flooded with light, that you may see differently. This apocalypse is this unveiling, right? That we might understand, be made alive, be brought from death to life, saved by the all-encompassing grace of God that has existed since eternity past and lasts through eternity future. We looked at how the door is open to all people, right? Paul's writing to Jew, Gentile, everybody, that Jesus has made peace with us by his blood, right? Paul unpacks the dimensions of the love of Jesus, the width and the depth and the length and the height of the way in which he loves us. Then the second half of the chapter gets into practicality, right? Kind of chapters four, five, and six, he says, tell the truth. He says, love your wife, love your husband, die to yourself, don't steal, watch what you say, be pure, flee sexual immorality, don't walk in darkness, but walk in the light. Not because you're a Christian, you're supposed to, but because God has invited you into a beautiful new way of living. And then today, you, you read all this. He talks about kids. He talks about the way you work. He talks about husbands and wives. And then almost in an interesting turn, he says, finally. You know, almost this one final word before I go. Kind of one last thing here. He says, in light of all of this, in light of this whole story, he gives a simple and yet profound instruction. He says, finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he says, put on the full 
armor of God, in light of all the practical instruction, in light of all his power, in light of all his truth that he's unpacked these last five chapters, he calls this to suit up because there's a conflict going on. There's this, this battle that I want to take a look at today that isn't always what we think, right? Sometimes bad days, tough decisions, jobs or decisions not swinging our way, it's not, that's not always what, what is working against us. Sometimes those hard circumstances can be Jesus refining us, disciplining us, the simple realities of life, but it is the quiet deceptions, the misdirections, the distortions, the whispers in our ear that tell us to cut the corner to do what feels good, that satisfies ourselves. This is the battle that we are, are really battling against. Look what he says. It says, be strong in the Lord, his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As we look at the, the book of Ephesians and kind of wrap this up, it's important that Ephesians was was a place that had a special interest in like the occult and like spiritism, mysticism, right? We see this in Acts 19. And you maybe come into this and it feels a little fringe, feels like an episode of Stranger Things. But if you look at our culture, a mantra that we hear often is, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? Like I don't adhere to anything that's that has been kind of enduring throughout time or anything that's that's written down or that has institution to, to maintain and develop this. It's just kind of a spiritual, right? And we may be edging into our same territory in certain areas of our culture, right? You kind of think about good vibes, subjective truth, new age, spirituality, all kind of signifies the spiritism, right? Almost these, these abstract powers that can lead us or that can influence us, right? And this is what I simply want to do today. I don't want to get lost in the weeds of all of that. Because I think many of us would be like, I don't really fall in that world. But, but yet we are in this battle is what Paul would say. And today I want to just do this. I want to look at a, a simple few questions. Who is this battle against? What, what are we fighting? And what is our response? Who is our battle against? What are we fighting? And what is our response? Because it's easy for us to have all kinds of enemies, right? All kinds of enemies, whether whether it's someone that we know when I say, who is your enemy, and a person's face comes right to your mind, or whether we see ourselves just subconsciously getting angry and grumbling and having negative attitudes towards certain people, right? We can have political enemies. See a lot of that. Relational enemies. Maybe it's our ex says the person who hurt me. It's a certain generation, the way that they act, whether it's my boss, the people who hold those beliefs, right? We can have all kinds of enemies. And I've said this before, and I think it's such an important, an important um, question as we, as we talk about who is our battle against, as we ask that question, there's one pastor who says, if you have a Satanless gospel, you will turn others into Satan. And if you don't have demons in, the, in your theology, you'll demonize people. I think that's so important because who are we fighting against? Against who? Paul says in here against the devil and against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, you may be just checking out things like, I think some of this has been helpful. You know, I want to do this better. I want to have better marriage, help my kids work. <sighs> Devil in his schemes, bro. All right, I'm shutting this off. You're getting a little weird, right? 
but we've, we've talked about this. We talked about this earlier in this book in chapter two, that, that the scriptures and kind of church history would say the main enemies of our soul are the world, the flesh, and the devil. But here, Paul is specifically in this passage talking about the devil. We looked at kind of the world and the flesh earlier, but he's looking about our, at our enemy, the devil. And if this sounds a little 1980s to you, I would tell you, I would ask you this. Maybe you believe in God, right? Maybe you believe in spiritual things. And if I believe in God and the spiritual reality of a creator, is it wild to think that there might be other spiritual beings, other spiritual forces? C.S. Lewis, we've said this before, but it's so important. And I'd encourage you to, to read C.S. Lewis. Uh, he was an amazing author and theologian in the early, uh, I don't know, 19th century? 18th century? I don't know, whatever the 1900s are. And he, he talked about this, that there's often heirs there's often errors that we can fall into when it comes to the devil and demons. He says this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. One of the errors we can fall into is obsessing over them, right? Like there's a demon behind every corner and every problem I have couldn't be possibly the fact that I'm lazy at work. It's a demon who doesn't want me to do well at work, right? There's always a demon behind every problem, right? We can obsess over these things. And the other side, I think we see this a lot in our moment today, is that we... we just pretend that they don't exist at all. It's the two errors that we can fall into, and Satan wants us to fall into those, to either be obsessed or to just totally be like, there's no such thing as any of this, right? But our conversation today, it's so important that we see the world not through a Western lens, but through a biblical lens, right? That we see all through the scripture spiritual beings, right? Angels, Satan, all through the life of Jesus, we see demons, different spiritual powers, right? And it's easy for us to interact with people that fall on that obsessed side, right? And for these things to become parodies, right, of themselves. They're almost characters of themselves and to be put off by these things. And in some ways, our, our modern world has gotten rid of, um, it, while some ways we obsess about spiritual things, in some ways we've gotten rid of them, right? And now we only operate. We only operate in the realms of, if there's a problem, it's either gotta be a psychological problem or it's a medical problem. Those are the only two problems that we have, right? But it's interesting, I heard a pastor talk about this this week. In the Gospels, when we see the life of Jesus, we see Jesus interacting with people physically, right? Where, where they have physical ailments many times, and Jesus physically heals them. So Jesus has obviously a category for, for, for physical problems. And then we see people that are broken, right? Spiritually, emotionally. We see Jesus meet people in their brokenness, right? Almost coming to them psychologically and, and, and bringing them healing, bringing them love and grace in those relationships. But we also see that Jesus has a category for, for dealing with the spiritual, with the demonic. He casts out demons all the time. Sometimes I go to tell my kids Bible stories. I'm like, all right, that one's got a prostitute. That one's got a demon, right? Like there's a lot of stories of demons. And we see that Jesus has category for these things. So there, it, it's not that sometimes we, we don't have a category for those things in our culture, but Jesus didn't. It's important for us to double click on that. Who are we fighting against? Who is our enemy? That, that Paul is being clear here. It's, it's, it's the reality of the evil one, Satan, right? The accuser, right? But what against what? Okay, what are we fighting? Are we fighting him? Are we have a sword fight with the devil, right? Look what he says in verse 11. He says that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And I want to look at this for a minute because this is so important. The devil's schemes. The first scheme I want to look at that we see the devil play out in our lives is, is lies. 
Because Satan is not a name, but it's a title. The adversary, opposed to God, opposed to his people. He's the accuser, the deceiver, the liar, the slander. And I know I've said this multiple times, but it's so important for us to get this. Because if we think that Satan is just like the little red guy with horns and he just wants to like... We miss the very under-the-radar dangerous way in which he operates. He primary, primarily operates in lies. Jesus says this in John 8. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, Genesis 3, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's so important. You almost think about like a magic trick, right? The way that magic tricks, to my understanding, get played out is usually if there's the, the, the magician will, will distract you with something else, right? Like if he's going to pull a card out of here, he's going to distract you with something. Why? He does something else on this side, right? Not that there's anything wrong with the good old-fashioned magic trick, but it's almost this deception that, that the way in which Satan operates, right? And so sometimes I think that we can be distracted by something all the while. We're focused on a lie while something else is happening over here, right? And the lie beneath all lies that we see in Genesis 3 is that God can't be trusted and that you could do a better job, right? And a question that's worth asking yourselves as we talk about the reality of lies in our lives is what is the lie that I am believing? What is the lie that I'm believing? If I feel anxiety if I feel restlessness, if I feel like oppression in some way, like what is the lie that I am believing? Maybe we believe that we can be in more control of a situation to get what we really want. So we want to grab control, we want to grab the steering wheel, we want to grab power for ourselves, right? Because we believe a lie that if I have more control, then the situation will be better. It's a lie that we, we believe. We believe that we don't have enough. So we have to put our first self. We have to get more. We spend our whole lives obsessing and getting more, right? It's a lie that we believe that distracts us. We believe the lie that Jesus isn't totally good. That his, his way of life, his way of being human in this world is not totally worthy of our trust. And so we kind of pick and choose the way that we want to live. And a half-truth is a lie, right? That we can believe lies. We can we can. We can give ourselves the lies, and Satan would want nothing more than that. We believe lies. Other One of his schemes is almost a good-looking evil. Have you noticed this? That like old movies, like the villain was like kind of like an old, ugly, like, you know, like Senator Palpatine in Star Wars, like Sith Lord is just like, like kind of looks like a, it's all messed up, right? Now you watch shows, you watch movies, and it feels like every like villain is hot. Right? They're all like confused. <laughs> They're just like, I'm just conflicted and I'm also a really good looking vampire or something. That there's this good looking evil, right? Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer. He ends the Lord's Prayer and he says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. And this Greek word is paneru, and it's the same word that Paul uses in this passage the spiritual forces. Of evil, it's the same word. And there's certain there's certain things that Paul talks about in the passage that that are almost clear, right? Like he's like like they're they're things that he calls us as followers of Jesus to avoid, and they're kind of like pretty clear to see, right? Don't lie, don't steal, get rid of rage and anger. Like we're all like, yeah, we we should do that, right? But in Jesus in the Lord's prayer, when he prays, um, deliver us from the evil one, they're almost like deliver us from the things that we might not see. And why Paul in Ephesians says there's some things that may be clear, 
these spiritual forces of evil oftentimes can be a good-looking evil. Uh, One pastor, Eugene Peterson, calls it evil that doesn't look like evil. Evil that we are not likely to recognize as evil. Paul is calling us to be alert to the evil that in fact looks like good. And Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. This is so important, right? We think oftentimes we think that the evil's out there, that I can just shut the door and the things that look a little bit scary and then I can protect. But oftentimes, in our own deception and lies that we believe, we can believe evil that looks like good. I remember having a conversation with somebody years ago that was, that was making some relational decisions that were just not in line with the way of Jesus. They were not in line with what Jesus was calling this person to. And they, they kind of said, but if it feels so good, why wouldn't God want me to do it? You're like, there it is. There it is. In a culture where everything becomes subjective, where the good is based on what I think is good on my own, it's not hard to see how a good-looking evil can come up because it's good for you, Right? And if it feels good in the moment, then it it should be fine, right? It's a good-looking evil. The prophet Isaiah says this, Before the times of Jesus, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That could be this this good-looking evil that distracts, that distorts. Think about the schemes that we often see the devil that we are at war against. We're against the war of, of lies, right? We're against the war of evil. It looks good, but I think also in our own hearts, fear. I think over the last the last couple of years, we could see how fear can just do so much in our hearts. Fear can drive us to do crazy things, and oftentimes fear causes us to protect and to focus in on ourselves because we feel like we aren't safe, right? But this command of fear not, fear not is mentioned about 365 times all throughout the scripture. Why? Because as human beings, our tendency is to be scared. It's to fear. It's to say, Jesus, I trust you, I trust you, but now I'm getting scared, so I'm abandoning this and I'm taking control for myself, right? Remember years ago, uh, I was in a band in college and we played a, a roller rink. We played a roller rink like it was the 1960s. And we played this roller rink, and this roller rink was attached to a haunted house. I've never been to a haunted house in my life. I don't want to spend my money on this nonsense. I don't want to pay to be scared, but we were already there, right? And so one of the guys in the band is like, I'm going to go to this haunted house. We can go to it for free. And I'm like, okay. I'm the young college guy. And so I went with him. And to be quite frank, it was just very silly. Like, it's like a lot of, like, animatronic scary things. And what I learned about haunted houses is that I, I do scare easy, as I've said before. But a haunted house, it can only scare you. Like, they can't, like, punch you, right? Or, like, take you captive and, I don't know, pour blood on you or something. Like, it's, it, can only, it can only scare you. It can't actually hurt you, right? And when we are in Christ, when all these things that Paul has talked about, the, the security that we have in the heavenly realms and the assurance of salvation are from eternity past, that we are secure in Christ, we are held in Christ, that the spiritual forces of evil, the situations that we walk into, they can scare us, right? But if all these things that Paul says are true, if all these things that we have unpacked in Ephesians are the, the true life that we have available to us, then Satanist forces of evil can only scare me. They can't actually hurt me. He can't steal my salvation. He can't steal my Savior. He can't shake the foundation of the cross. He can only scare us, right? 
In Hebrews 2, I think this is so important. I read this at funerals a lot. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That Jesus has conquered death by his resurrection. That, that our ultimate fear of death is one of my favorite hymns in Christ alone says no guilt in life, no fear in death because Jesus has made a way. And Satan can only scare us. He can't, can't harm us in these things because we are held by Jesus. It's so important for us as we look at the schemes of the evil one that as followers of Jesus, Satan is primarily after our identity in our calling. It's primarily, he doesn't want to just give you a hard day at work. Oh, I'm having a hard day at work. Satan must be after me. You're like, Listen, baby, I'm not, I'm not sure that that is the evil one, right? But what he's, what he's after is our identity, who God has made me to be. It's why Paul goes through great lengths to describe the beauty and depth and power of who Jesus has made us to be. But he's also after our calling, not like your dream job. That's not what I'm talking about. But why we are here as the church. We are ambassadors of the gospel for the building up of his kingdom in and for the sake of the good in the world. Like that is the mission, our calling. And Satan is against that. Like if Satan can get us as followers of Jesus to get distracted with so many peripheral things and to argue all day about things that have no eternal weight, he's like, that would be awesome. If I can get y'all to argue about the colors of the carpet in the church, to be scared about where the world is, is going, to just fear up and bunker down and become impotent to what you have been called to do in the world. Awesome. How do we know that, that Satan is after our identity and after our calling? Because we see him tempting Jesus in this same way. In the book of Matthew in chapter 4, we see the temptation of Jesus, right? After Jesus is baptized, after the Father affirms, you are my son with whom I am well pleased, before Jesus had done a single miracle, that he's affirmed by the Father, and then he goes directly into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And we may read that and be like, oh man, he's going out in this place of weakness, but really, Jesus is going out this place of strength, right? He's, going to, he's led by the Spirit into this place of strength. And we see these temptations that, that Satan says. He says first, he attacks the identity of Jesus. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, right? There's this identity they shine chip away. And oftentimes for us, we may hear that same voice. You really a Christian? You sure Jesus really covers you? Well? You really sure Jesus wants you to do that? You really sure he's called it? You know, I think you're actually, and, and you hear the voice of accusation, the voice of temptation chipping away, right? If you are, he wants to attack our identity about what Jesus has done and who Jesus has made us to be. And you see this, this also, that, that Satan, he, he says, turn these stones to bread, throw yourself down, worship me. These temptations he gives to Jesus are to distract him from what he's actually doing. Like Satan is like, do this stuff. Do this stuff this way. I want you to do it my way. Distracting Jesus from his calling, right? Because you know what? Jesus made bread. There ain't nothing sinful about making bread. Maybe something holy about making bread. Jesus is going to make a whole bunch of bread in his ministry. But Satan's like, I want you to turn these stones on the bread. He says, do it my way, right? We can't, we can't have, one pastor says, we can't have the Jesus truth and live the Jesus life without doing it the Jesus way. 
We are called to be ambassadors of the gospel, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be people who proclaim the peace of Jesus, who are ministers of the, of the good news of Jesus, who are partners with Jesus in bringing his kingdom here and now on the earth. That is, that is our mission. That is, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is why you are here. That's why you're here. You're not here to, to listen to Christian radio until you die and go to heaven one day. But to be an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus in the world that we find ourselves in. In the truth of Jesus, in the life that Jesus, he calls us to do it a particular way. So it's this idea of, of do the ends justify the means. Sometimes we can believe the lie of Satan and evil that looks good. We say, it doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get this figured out. As long as we get people to agree with us. As long as we get them to sign on the line. As long as we get this, this world the way it should be. Yet Jesus calls us to live a certain way. A way of forgiveness. A way of peace. A way of dying to ourselves. A way of self-sacrifice. A way of humility, Right? And yet we see the temptation of, of, of Jesus, Satan, say, do it my way. Let's do a little razzle-dazzle. Throw yourself down. Raise yourself up. Make him wowed and attract him with all this stuff. In the life of Jesus, like, Jesus is like, that's not how I'm going to do this, right? I want disciples, right? That our enemy wants to distort, distract, cause chaos, confusion, as the writer John says, to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to lie. He wants to distort wants to make evil look good and good look evil, wants to cause fear within us to distract from our identity and our calling so that the mission of God would be distracted in this world. This is what he wants to do, to steal, kill, and destroy. And what is our response? Our response. This is so, this is so powerful because we as, as human beings, we want to punch something. We want to fight. We want to give a, a harsh word. We want to rip some things down. But look at what our, our response is. The first thing he says is to stand. To stand. He says this often. Look at this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, when the day of evil comes, not if, but when, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He's saying don't do anything. He's not saying, I'll just stand there and figure it out. I think sometimes we as followers of Jesus can fall on that. Jesus has done all this. He's done it all, so we don't have to do anything. We can just sit around, watch Netflix, live the life that we wanted to live anyways until we die and get float off to heaven. He's not calling us to be impotent and just to sit around. But he's saying us to hold on to these things, to stand firm, be grounded and rooted and protected by, secured and anchored by all these things that he has extravagantly described all throughout the book of Ephesians. And we see this, this, this armor of God. And so he almost uses this analogy of a Roman soldier, how they would have been suited up. But this armor is really a reference to the prophet Isaiah, where in the prophet Isaiah, throughout different parts, we see the future Messiah, Jesus himself, armed in justice, truth, peace, and righteousness. And if you, if you look at this, it's so important. Like, let these just sink into your soul for a minute. What, what are we standing in? What is the armor that we put on? Is it position and wit and control and getting people to do what we want? Is that, no. The belt of truth. 
the breastplate of righteousness, of justice, our feet being equipped with the, the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, the faith that we have been, that we've been given, the salvation, the story of our saving, the word of God, this is so important. He talks about truth because the truth that Jesus is king, that sin has broken and distorted our reality, the truth that we are made in the image of God, that salvation and healing are available to all, that it's by grace that we've been saved, that this truth is so important. We stand in this truth. We stand in this because so much around us, especially in our culture, our world is changing, is shifting, trying to find better ideas. He says, stand in this. He says, stand in righteousness, right? Look at this. Stand in the righteousness, the justice, right? Our world so desperately wants to make itself right, wants to find justice. And he's saying, this is found in the gospel. Stand in justice. Satan is the accuser. He wants to remind us of all the wrong that we've done. And say, you can't stand because of your sin. And Jesus says, I have dealt with your sin. You are made righteous because of me. So therefore, stand. I love this. This is the, 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 your, your, uh, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I love that. The gospel is news. The gospel isn't just some instruction, but the gospel is news. It's a story that comes to us from outside of ourselves and declares that the war has been won. Peace with God is possible, and therefore peace within is available. I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He says, Peace is not merely the absence of tension, but it's the presence of justice. Whew! Peace is not just the absence of tension, but it's the presence of justice. Because if you have been following Jesus for longer than 10 minutes, you know that anxiety, restlessness, uncertainty, they all can exist in our hearts, maybe in different amounts in different seasons, right? But peace doesn't mean that those things just disappear. Well, I've got peace, so now I don't have any problems. That's not what peace is. But peace means that Jesus that justice and righteousness embodied in the person of Christ is always present. Is always present. He's not leaving us and he's not forsaking us. That we have the gospel of peace preached to us and though there's tension, that there's always peace because Jesus is always present, right? I love Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 kind of harkens back to this feet being ready with the gospel. It says, how beautiful in the mountain are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. So let your feet be equipped with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. He says, faith at Hebrews 11.1, confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we don't see. That faith is a shield that protects us in the midst of uncertainty and doubt that even when we feel like we can't convince ourselves to feel a certain way, that we lean on our faith, right? Our faith is a shield for our soul. He says, the helmet of salvation, our saving, our deliverance, our rescue, that Jesus has saved us. And ultimately, the last thing he says, says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of what Jesus says is true of the scriptures, right? One pastor, William Cook, says, he says this, he says, spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle between the church, the devil, and his forces, with the church standing in the armor of God, defensively resisting the devil, and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. See, this is what is so important. As we've talked about this, we sing about this, we feel that we feel maybe this, this restlessness, we feel this tension in our hearts oftentimes, right? I feel like there's, there's a battle to be won. And this is such a powerful truth. 
Paul says in Colossians, when you were dead in your sins, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. We looked at this in chapter two. He forgave all of our sins, dealt with, forgave. If God says your sins are forgiven, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, your sins are forgiven. He says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away. Now listen, one of the, tr- the truths that we, we hold to is that, that sin has separated us from God. Sin has made us guilty. You can't wish it away. You can't counsel it away. You can't deal with it yourself. But our sin has killed us. It wants to continue to kill us. But Jesus has dealt with our sin, nailed it to the cross. And, have, and that's the power that Satan has against us, is our sin. That's, that's the power that he holds against us. But if Jesus has dealt with our sin, nailed it to the cross, he's disarmed these powers and authorities. He's disarmed them. He's taken their weapons away. He has made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. Oftentimes, people... People get caught up in the, like the spiritual, like spiritual pressure, spiritual things going on. And my friends, it's very, very real. But what happens is we try to find some different answer, right? Some incantation or some prayer or some priest to sprinkle some stuff on us. It's the power of the cross that has triumphed over the powers of evil. We're always looking for a different answer. We're looking for a different solution. It's the cross, ladies and gentlemen. It's the old rugged cross where the Prince of Glory died. We talked about this last week with work, where we see Jesus' finished work on the cross. We see in our relationships what reconciles us, what brings us back together. It's the cross and what has disarmed the powers of evil that still try to fight against us. It's the cross of Jesus. And so what's Paul's instruction? It's actually pretty nonviolent, non-aggressive. He says, stand, stand. How are we going to fight this battle, General? We're going to stand. Stand in all these truths of, the, of our salvation, of our peace with God, of our righteousness. We stand. We need only stand in his grace because Jesus has already stood in our place. And look what he says in verse 18 as he continues. What's our response? We stand. We pray. He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. Like, bring it all, my friends. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. We pray. My friends, this is, Matthew Henry says, I love prayer because it's that which buckles on all the Christian's armor. Prayer is where all these things sink into our soul. The reality of of the truth of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, that it all sinks into our soul through prayer. It's almost, sometimes we can fall into this, like, did you say your prayers? It's like, yes, I I said my prayers, I I did the thing, like, that's, that's, that's good, but... I think saying our prayers is different than operating out of communion with Jesus, reliance on Jesus, relationship with Jesus, maybe maybe struggling with Jesus, right? I talked to a friend recently and and uh, they were saying, how do I how do I how do I truly get to know Jesus? He wanted to go from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. And he's like, How do I get to know Jesus? And my friends, I think it's like like read the gospels, like learn the stories of Jesus. He was doing that, but but it's prayer. It's prayer, and if I just pastorally, if there's one thing worth figuring out, worth wrestling through, right? It's prayer. So often we, we hear, like, 
prayers boring? We say in our overly like mechanical utilitarian culture, like prayer doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. Man, that is just, that's interesting. That's just such an interesting, it's like, that's like, my relationship with my wife doesn't work. You're like, what? I don't understand what you mean by work. What do you mean? It's just my relationship with my wife doesn't work. Like, I don't know what that means. Like prayer doesn't work. Like we, we like go on a walk, talk out loud to Jesus, type it up. Maybe it's just bringing one verse to your mind and just sitting on, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When, when you feel anxiety, when it's like, I got to get an answer or something, I got, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I want to stand in this truth. I want to stand in the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. I want to stand in what is true. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's, maybe it's buying a book to learn about prayer. Like, like figure this out because it is in prayer where we commune with Jesus, where we stand with Jesus. Where we bring all of our requests to Jesus. Jesus has got struggles. I want to struggle into Jesus. I want to bring my request to Jesus. When I feel like I see the schemes of Satan, the lies of Satan, the deception of Satan playing out, distorting a situation, whether it's something on a national level, whether it's something in a relational level, whether it's the pain that we see playing out all through the world, that we bring these things to Jesus, all kinds of things in prayer. That's where we meet Jesus at. That's where our relationship with Jesus gets played out is in prayer, ongoing prayer. I pray as I interact with other people. I pray as I struggle. I pray when I'm bored. I pray in my uncomfortability in a situation. I pray in my longing. I pray. I figure this out with Jesus. Ah, man, I, we would love to pray with you. If there's things going on in life, give us a call. Shoot us an email. If you're out of the area, we'd love to have a phone call with you and just pray. We as a church have wanted to have this, this movement of prayer. Right over here on this wall, we've got a prayer wall, right? I'm just writing down the names of people. We as a church, we have a people. We cannot delegate prayer. It's just this utilitarian checklist to see if God's going to do it, see if it works. Like, this is the wrong frame of mind, right? Get after prayer. And the last thing I'd say is this. Well, I, Paul would say is be alert. Our response to the schemes of Satan, the lies of Satan, the, the schemes of the evil one, as we stand, we pray, and we be alert. And being alert, Seems like a simple yet important instruction for a generation that is so distracted, right? Okay, look at second, or be alert, yeah. Second Timothy, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearance and his appearing in his kingdom, in view of the kingdom of Jesus, the reign and rule of Christ that Jesus said is already and not yet, he says, I give you this charge. Paul's writing to a young pastor. He says, preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage. With patience, careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. You've heard this before, likely. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers, say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside from myths. Now listen, I talk to a lot of Christians. We get worked up a lot because we see this. Our people are saying this, and the kids are following this, and the world's going to hell in a handbag. Like, this is, we, we see it, right? And I don't disagree with you in a lot of these things, sure. But we get worked up. We're like, so we got to post. We got some people together. We got to, we gotta, you know, we get, we get worked up. We, we, we submit to fear. We see these realities, and then we get scared. We get uncomfortable. We're like, okay, we start clenching our pearls. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But look at what Paul says to this young pastor when these things happen. He says, but you, 
but you. You ever have like your kid come home from school, the kids were listening, this was going crazy and everybody's doing this wrong thing and you're like, but you. I don't care about that, I care about you. But you. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Like we gotta post, we gotta start a new coalition, we gotta figure this out, we gotta get things back to the way they were, but you. Keep your head. This is a picture of this non-anxious presence. Think Paul, this is a that you, you stand. Be alert. Be aware. Keep your head. Stay sober-minded is what some versions say. Endure hardship. It's gonna be hard. Of course it's gonna be hard. Jesus promised us hardship. Like where do we think that it's hard is surprising us. It's a, the promise that he made. You will in this world you will have trouble. Jesus Christ. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Therefore, endure hardship. And do the work of the evangelist. What does that mean? You're an ambassador of the gospel. You're a minister of reconciliation. We, we stand. And when, we, when there's these attacks of the evil one, in whatever form, shape, lie they take, we stand. And we do the work of the evangelist. What's that mean? We bring the kingdom of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. We partner with Jesus in the work that he is doing, in the reconciling, reconciling work that he is doing. I read a story this week that just caught me. And it might, it, it might catch you weird at first, and that's okay. There's an old theologian. His name is Karl Barth. Uh, back in Germany in the, in the 30s. And, and the Nazi party was, was rising to power. And there was an election that, that really steered in their direction. And at the time, uh, this theologian, Mr. Bart, was, was teaching at a, a seminary. He's teaching a homiletics class, a preaching class he was teaching. And some of the students came and they were distraught because they saw this, this Nazi party and the kind of rising, the power and some of these things happening. And they're like, what do we do? Professor, like, what do we do? What should we preach this Sunday? What do we do? And he said this. He said, it's always business as usual in the kingdom of God. He said, you keep doing what you've always been doing. You prepare your sermon and you, you teach people about Jesus. It's always business as usual in the kingdom of God. And that may, that may sit with you weird because there's a lot of things going on in the world. We you see the deception of, of the evil one play out in the world in all kinds of ways, personal ways, societally, societally, you know, culturally. We see this globally, the conflicts all like... <laughs> Jesus, Jesus showed up in this world. Jesus showed up in the midst of all kinds of conflicts, social conflicts, religious conflicts, personal conflicts, violent conflicts. Like Jesus showed up right in the middle of like a lot going on in the world. And yet Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And oftentimes, like, Jesus didn't show up and didn't continue the way that they wanted him to. They killed him, right? In this statement, it's always business as usual in the kingdom of God, I think reflects our call to put on this armor and to stand and to pray and to be alert as we are followers of Jesus in this world. And I think what that creates is if you hear it's always business as usual, but that's not enough. What, what else do you think we should bring in? What, what else do we need to get going that the kingdom of God is not bringing? 
Because see, I think what happens is oftentimes we think that the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, we believe the lie that that's nice and cute for peacetime, but when there's war, we got we to get some artillery going. It's a lie that we believe. Because the instruction that has been given to us is to stand, to be alert, and to pray. To continue to do the work of the evangelist. You know what your job is during peacetime? Is to be ambassador for the good news of Jesus. That we are sinners, yet God of all creation has made a way to have relationship with him and is reconciling the world to himself. And we get to be partners with him in that. When you go to work, when you raise your kids, when you pursue peace in your relationships, you are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. That God wants you in relationship with him. That, that is the message that we have been given. Messengers of reconciliation, ambassadors of grace, ministers of the gospel. That's what we have been called to do. In peacetime and when stuff gets fuzzy, when stuff gets real conflicting and messed up and confusing and hard, you know what we do? We do the same thing. It's always business as usual in the kingdom of God. The problem, I think, though, is that we oftentimes just don't think that the kingdom of God is the ultimate answer. That the way of Jesus is is what our souls need. And so what I want to call you to do in light of this story, in light of the riches of the gospel, and that we've been brought from death to life, in light of the, the, the dimensions of the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the instruction he has given us, and in light of the reality of these spiritual forces that are against all these things that are going to lie and distort and cause fear and scheme, is to pray, to stand, and to stay alert. Because the kingdom of Jesus is at hand and he wants us to partner with him in what he is doing. And so Jesus, I pray that you might give us discernment, that you might help us to see where it is that you are working. Jesus, if we, if we find ourselves in a place where we obsess about these things, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see the reality. That you, you would help us to see that you have already conquered, that you are at work. And that sometimes it's your discipline. Sometimes it's just the realities of life. Sometimes it's our own sin that we're struggling with. It's our flesh. And on the other side, Jesus, if we totally ignore these things, I pray that you would give us just a a spiritual sensitivity to the lies that we're believing, to the deceptions not out there somewhere, but in our own lives, Jesus, so that we might know where, where to stand on your truth, on your grace, on your finished work that has bought us redemption through your blood. And that, Jesus, we might be agents and ambassadors of your gospel in our lives. It's because of Christ we pray. Amen.